Hello and welcome to episode 22 of This Korean Life. Have you lost it? Did you ever have it? Can it be found? For some, it's forever elusive. Others, even in the worst conditions, can spot it in everything they see. When it clicks, when you realize, at 6 or 60, the veil is lifted and the path reveals itself and becomes your sole focus. Suddenly, the shiny obsessions of yesterday are overshadowed by it. One thing is for sure. Once you have it, it's yours. Yours to keep, yours to hold, yours to develop, share, and reflect on. What is the passion that drives you? What makes you tick? Today we sit down with a man lucky enough to have found his passion at the age of six. His first paid gig came at 15, and he has spent the last quarter century refining his storytelling skills, sharpening his design abilities, and chronicling his unique adventures as he travels around the world. The author of the bestseller Ben Book Club and newly released, soon-to-be mega-hit, student ambassador, Ryan Estrada. You are now tuned into This Korean Life with your hosts, Ryan and Nate. And welcome back to another episode of This Korean Life. Today's guest, self-proclaimed artist, author, adventurer, Ryan Estrada. He's been creating since the age of six and now an accomplished artist, having published numerous books and also directed, produced, and acted in various screen works. The Bollywood star. Now, <laughs> at one point, he lived in 10, uh, spent 10 years in 10 different countries. Ryan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Very, uh, very happy to have you. Again, we tried to do this at the, I think, the end of uh, February, and mm-hmm. we got shut down because of uh, we got shut down because of Corona. Yeah, it was like the day that it first uh, hit Busan was the day we were supposed to record. It, it was, and I was still on board. Uh, luckily, Nate told me, and he said, "Hey, you better check with your wife. You, you might not want people because my in. wife's not on board for anything. <laughs> because she's a public school teacher." So if if we ended up at his place and one of the kids and anyways the whole her school has to shut down anyways said you better check your wife my wife would never let this happen I didn't even else. I didn't even think to to ask her you better check just you got someone coming in from Busan you you never know and I didn't she goes what do you mean people are coming from Busan no absolutely our kids are at home blah blah but anyways we got the old we got this place now so we're good. We're good. Yeah, we had, we had no idea at that point what was coming because we, you know, we'd been through all of them. We'd had Zika, we'd had like bird flu. We're like, yeah, we we've been through these. They last a week. They disappear. We're yeah. fine. No doubt. That was in. It wasn't even in the states. It wasn't in Canada at that point. Yeah. This was the like. Oh, it was in, just in Daegu, wasn't it? No, Brian had brought it back from Boracay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We had just come back from the Philippines, and and there was talk about it in the airport and stuff. And they were they just banned the first Chinese flight into the they Philippines. They said they stopped five hundred people at the airport. And, and, and we were waiting there in airport in the airport, just full of people. I was like, oh my goodness, what's going on? Anyways, yeah, it turned out it wasn't uh, wasn't too bad here, and and Pohang or Daegu took the brunt of it at the beginning. Anyways, first I'll say. I mean, awesome work. I you gained a new fan. I didn't know. I see your name online lots, but I didn't ever. I, I'm not a cartoon guy, so I just thought, well, I, I don't read. I read a couple Archies when I was younger, but I didn't know there was cartoon novels or what do you call them? graphic 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 novels. I think, and now after reading a bunch of your stuff, like this stuff's cool. I would read about it all the time because it's a lot more interesting than just reading a book. And I think it would be great for a lot of kids to learn about. But I'm I also consider myself an adventurist or an adventurer and. 10 countries in 10 years sounds pretty cool. 
tell us a little bit about that and how where'd you go and how did you <laughs> how do you move every year? Well, basically, I just uh, I was working through the internet. That was back when I was doing custom comics and just doing like really really boring terrible comics for clients that like but that's what paid the bills and I could didn't matter where I lived uh, everything was through the internet so I just every once a year I'd be like I'd see a video on YouTube and be like oh that looks cool and just move somewhere uh, and I, yeah, I did that for about a decade until I realized that like doing custom comics I didn't care about was destroying my soul <laughs> and so now I'm just trying to make only things I'm passionate about and things that I love making and that and so you know can't travel as much on, on that money but uh but surely, surely, getting commissioned by Tommy Lee can't be the the most boring thing in the world. Yeah, there, there was it was fun getting some, you know, like you never knew who was going to commission you because mm. it was just it, most of my clients were people that had never read a comic book but yeah. just cared about someone who who did. So it was just lots and lots of people emailing me after Tommy Lee. Stuff. After Tommy Lee called you, did he request a four plus three inches? Uh, no, it was it was Tommy <laughs> Lee's uh, girlfriend ordering. A birthday gift for him. No way! So. That's crazy. That's awesome. That's what I was gonna say. How do you? How do you? How do these people find you? Or what? What a random. You're sitting in the middle of Indonesia or something, yeah. and all of a sudden, huh? Where does yeah. this stuff come from? It was yeah. just people that searched for the words "custom comics." They found me. I just made a dedicated site uh, that was like not related to my existing work. That just anyone who searched for someone to make comics could find it. Cool. And you say making boring comics why are they considered boring compared to what you do now uh well because it's just about like wedding favors or draw my boyfriend as batman or draw how our app works <laughs> or, uh just you know not telling so they're stories, special to just, the people yeah they're special to the people but you could care less but like no i don't care no one else cares like right. it's, it's nothing i can show to an audience like i i had okay. spent all this time building up an audience making original stories and then for like 10 years, I made nothing but like, <laughs> here's how a random couple met. And like, no one, no one wants to read that. And I lost my entire readership. Ah. And I learned the mistake. Like, I, I shouldn't have been putting all that online because like people just, you post a hundred comics no one cares about. Then you post one you, you care about. It's going to take time for people to trust you again. Right. Ah, interesting. So what, what kind of places were you in? And, and once you arrived, like there's nothing holding you down or nothing tying you down in terms of visas or anything else, like lots of countries you can't go for a year. How, how do you manage and where were you? Uh, like, um, you know, I, 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 sometimes I'd travel and, and do like a job while I was there. I lived in India for a while and worked at a call center at night and dropped to do comics during the day. <laughs> I just went to Mexico, stayed there for a year. I did, um, six months in Costa Rica and then six months in Panama and, uh, Panama. lots of, lots of different places like that. I did volunteer work in Thailand um, you know, not all of them were for a full year. Sometimes I'd be one place a little more in a year and one place a few months and then, you know, just bounce around. You're from, uh, from Detroit. Yeah. yeah. From uh, the, the burbs. Growing, we were, we were talking about like when we decided first to, to come here <clears throat> and mine was, there was no job prospects. I wanted to make some extra money and I wouldn't have come to Korea if it, if that, uh, financial stability wasn't available. How do you get the the guts to to just up and move to to any country? And like I I had searched you know searched it out before. I knew someone here. Is that just your like your sense of adventure? You just don't. It was the safety net of boring comics. Yeah. people are always getting married. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there was, it was that. I mean, not it, not lucrative, but it was yeah. enough to sustain. Well, your... I mean, it was it was regular. Like mm. some some months. The, the thing was that like 
when I talked about how much I traveled, people assumed that I was fabulously wealthy. And I'm like, yeah. no, I could just never live in America. Yeah. Like I can, I can go, I can go to a beach in Thailand and yeah. get a, a two story house with a private ocean mm-hmm. for like a hundred bucks a month. Yeah, like yeah. I can make that. I yeah. can make one page and pay for that. And then just anything else is bonus. So like, oh, um, okay. you know, you go places where you can, if you are able to make money remotely, yeah. like there are places you can go where literally if you lost all of your money, I could find a way to make a hundred bucks. Yeah. And like, yeah. We, we say that before that some people just don't know just don't aren't aware of the options out there and i think it's smart like my parents retired in florida and they went for six months of winter and back in the in the summer but it was way cheaper than living in canada during that time and i mean they bought a double wide trailer for eight thousand mm-hmm. dollars and you get the senior discount everywhere you go dad's got a six-month golf membership at a pga course for 200 bucks for seniors I mean, it was incredible, but going to Thailand, traveling around Southeast Asia and Central America to see the old guys who retire there with, with a mango shake stand or something, go, that's all the guy needs, man. He's got everything he wants and he's, you know, he makes a hundred bucks from his mango shake stand a week and he's laughing. Yeah. But a lot of people don't, don't know the options or maybe are, are not willing to consider those options. But man, your money works a lot more for you in other countries than it does, you know, usually where you're based. Yeah, the, the expensive part is getting somewhere. And once you, you know, I mean, and if you get somewhere and go only where the tourists go, it's still going to be expensive. But if you just go into a cool, like when I lived in Panama, I just, um, I had like $2,000 and I just, I like went to a real estate agency and I'm like, if I just give someone this $2,000, can I live, get somewhere to live for a year? And I got like a, a four bedroom house, <laughs> like <laughs> Which yeah, sur- surrounded <laughs> by mountains, like, like you can live for next to nothing and then like live like a king and like, you know, being, being a creative, uh, a creative guy. I think once you're, you're not worrying about the bills or, you know, like I'm here for this year, my rent is paid. Boom. That gives you the freedom yeah. to, to just let the creativity loose. And mm-hmm. so it. many places I've traveled and I go, whenever I decide to write a book, I'm going to come here. If it's either in the mountains in Nepal or wherever, you go, it would cost you nothing to live here. You could have you could have maids and cooks. You could have whatever. You could live like a king. But nice, peaceful, quiet place. And if it's on a beach or in a mountain, lots of places like that. I always think, if I ever want to write a book, this is where I'm coming. And you see them everywhere you go. I don't see them at home that much. But <laughs> You say your, your life is full of, uh, full of adventures. Mm-hmm. When you're traveling to these countries, you, you mentioned, uh, I got a note here, almost being eaten by lions mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah just as a as an example not are you actively seeking out the adventures but like uh are you are you being a little less cautious when you're in there to to, to try and encounter something crazy are you i mean even even coming here just on a on a saturday not really risky but maybe you can get a story out of it are you are you actively looking for for a new adventure or something to get yourself into or do, are you just like a victim of awesome circumstances i don't i don't look for trouble but i don't <laughs> but what i do is i i don't actively over plan to avoid it okay okay uh i mean there was a phase of my life where i literally like when i went to africa the reason i got so much trouble is because i literally um i decided i was going to meet my sister and i told her like i don't want any spoilers don't okay. tell me any what i'm gonna encounter <laughs> i'm going to meet you just tell me what airport to fly to what bus to get on i'll I don't want to know anything else. Oh, very nice. And then I got into a lot of trouble there. And it, like I, you know, a lot of times I travel places, you know, I don't, I don't figure out 
I don't sit down and be like, these are the places I want to visit. Here's my schedule. I'm just like, I heard this area is cool. Let's just go walk around and see what's there. Yeah, absolutely. And then you run into situations that other people don't. Yeah. And interesting things happen. And that's, yeah, I think that's the, uh, that's one of the beauties of, uh, of traveling or, or just doing it without the, without the structure. Yeah. But I think it's just, it's not that common anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I spent, I spent about 18 months backpacking around Southeast Asia, kind of India, Bangladesh, Bhutan, Tibet, everything, everything to the East of there. And when, when we were in the places like, you know, the circuit there, Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam, Laos, and it's all the British backpackers mm-hmm. and they're on gap year. They finish, they took the same flight, the same, they all arrive in Bangkok, they all go to the same party, <laughs> full moon party here, then we go up here, then we do this. And I thought, holy man, I've just come off of like eight months of random, if it's fun, I stay, if it's not fun, I move on. Yeah. Next city, next country, whatever. But people say, how long or what's your plan? I said, that's the worst part. I've gone on three major backpacking trips and I never have a plan. Yeah. And I don't have an end date because the end date means I, I, I know I have to be here and I rush to get here. I finished that 18 or, or 20 months and I just said, I'm tired of living out of my bag. I'm going to go home and surprise the shit out of those guys for Christmas. And everyone thought I was up in, in northern uh, Vietnam and boom, I showed up in London, Ontario. and Holy shit. But I hate being constrained by the, you have to be here on this date to fly out. No, I'll just I'll just go as I please. Mm-hmm. So we bought, me and Petey and AJ, we bought uh, $1 tickets on the street in Khao San Road in Bangkok, $1 tickets from Bangkok to Ho Chi Minh. And the lady was saying, $1, $1, new new promotional uh, special. Guys, want to go? Here we go. Boom, $1, <laughs> and we got a ticket, and that was it. So I, I like the no structure. I like the freestyle. It's so much more unpredictable. Yeah. Well, the thing about working without a plan is even if you end up at the exact same places the tourists go to, it's a completely different experience where like someone else might let's look at the guidebook. Okay. This is the place you got to go. This is where the entrance is. This is the bus you take. This is how much the ticket is. And whereas I will like get lost in a neighborhood and not know where I am. And they're like, Oh, I really need to go to the bathroom. I'm going to pee my pants. And then like, could just keep walking down alleys. And then all of a sudden I turn around a corner and there's this giant temple in front of me. And I'm like, I've discovered it. And then I, and I tell people, I found this cool temple. I tell them where they're like, that's like the 14th best temple in the city. We thought like that's that's not even in the top five. What, yeah. are you doing? what are you talking? I'm like, but I found it and it was amazing. It's, you know, it's, traveling's a, it's, it's very subjective. Yeah. So I mean, sounding frugal and 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 in in doing it, you know, as as cheap as I ever could. But would you ever worry about getting taken advantage of or, or paying the wrong price or getting scammed? Because that's what I found. The guidebook could could lead me away from from some of those things and save me time in the way that. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to be wasting time haggling over this. I know what the price is. I know how to haggle, and I know how to get them there quick. But if I got no idea, I don't want to be caught paying double, triple, quadruple when that'll last me three more days in Southeast Asia. Yeah, well, you get you get scammed all the time. You get stories out of it. Tell them on podcasts. <laughs> yeah. Make comics about them. Right. One of my favorite uh, experiences traveling was uh, you were talking about just when I was living in Thailand. Just like you find a cheap ticket. Like I went. I I needed to go. Um, where was I going? Cambodia. And I just, there's a sign that said like really cheap ticket for, and they showed like this giant air conditioned, but like they had all these facts about how fancy this bus was. And I'm like, and I, 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 saw, the same one. <laughs> I saw it and I'm like, I know it's not going to be that bus, but right. let's see what happens. And so I paid for this fancy bus. And then 
like five minutes later, this giant fancy bus pulls up in front. I'm like, oh, wow, all right, we do get this bus. We get on the bus. The bus turns around the corner, stops, lets us off where the real bus is parked. <laughs> and they're like, technically, you did get on that bus, all right? Oh. And then we get in like we get in like just some dude's van. They like there's like eight vans. We load them up, and then this this trip to Cambodia took like 48 hours oh, no. because they kept like they drive this van until like they couldn't they'd like return it to the guy they borrowed it from, and they're like, we're gonna par- <laughs> we're just gonna wait. I know a guy we can borrow another van from. He's asleep now. Yeah. And then we just wait for like 10 hours in the middle of the night until this guy woke up and a guy comes out like clearly completely high and oh. like, okay, we got two vans. One's leaving now and one's leaving in an hour. Everybody's like, I'll take the one now. He needs to leave now because he doesn't have a driver's license and the cops come out in an hour. We're like, yeah. we'll take the second one. <laughs> and it was just stuff like that. And then like they, they took us to the border and had us change money um, to uh, Malaysian dollars. And then later I found out not only did they – rip me off by like $200 in the exchange but also <laughs> they don't use mo- that money anymore they use american dollars oh so it's literally monopoly like yeah. like they they traded me for like $4 of monopoly money and oh, then no. so they got a good story and so did you yeah so it's just it the whole the whole experience you know yeah. i got ripped off a lot but that's i don't remember anything else that happened on the trip yeah. so the best uh, part so is that is that where a lot of your i mean I've I've traveled extensively Asia, Central South America, Europe. Is that where a lot of your inspiration comes from? Um, I mean, yeah, the a lot of the stories I tell are like I, sometimes I just directly uh, write about times I almost died while traveling or something like that, and then sometimes it's just like situations I've been in or people I've met will inspire a character or a story, like even if it's. Uh, science fiction or something about werewolves or something it's based on my life experiences because like the early comics that you're talking about making comics as a kid like those were like about an orange cat who's too lazy to chase mice because i had no life experiences so like garfield reading garfield was my life experiences but now once you get out you can get things to talk about i think a lot of artists start off by mimicking their their favorite works Mm -hmm. and then you find a place you're well that's probably why i took a liking to the adventures section on the website there Kilimanjaro was, yeah. was a classic, and the Coco, Coco War in Peru. Yeah, yeah. It's. I have to say, you like you've totally won me over, and I gotta be totally honest. Growing up where I did, anyone that sticks their neck out and says like, "Hey, I'm gonna try and do this," you feel it's your moral obligation to just smash them down and be like, "Look at this guy! Look at mm-hmm. this guy!" And you know what? I saw your uh, learn to read Hangul in 15 minutes. I you've had your website up for how long? At least. 10 years a lot longer than that since uh like 2001 maybe okay yeah like i remember seeing this like i, I want to say like 2008 9 i was like look at this guy he got his website up learn how to read and then hear you on a podcast here or there and this book came out and i went oh my god this is man you unbelievable the work that you've done and just the the perseverance of, of continually you know just just chipping away at it. it's awesome man Really, yeah. really respect uh, Really respect that. It's awesome. Is I think the website is is kind of cool and fresh. I haven't seen any websites like that. Have you? Did you do all that yourself? Yeah, yeah. I redid that on my website. It, it's always I, I. It's very old school the way I make it, and so I can only update it like every three years or so. It's it's due for one. <laughs> There's a lot of uh, coming soon things on there that are already out or <laughs> things that I haven't added on yet. 
Well, if any of you guys haven't been there, any anybody listening, check out his website. We'll tell we'll list it in the in the comments or whatever at the end. But the adventure section there had a couple beauties: So Myung John and the Cocoa Wars and and the Kilimanjaro. I really I really enjoyed those. I really connected with them. So that was cool. I like that stuff. What are you using to to make your uh, uh, Dreamweaver? Dreamweaver. Yeah. Right. Old school. Old okay, school. okay. <laughs> now, when you were, you said you went to school. You did four years for yeah. animation. Yeah. College for creative studies. Interesting. Did, did you? That wasn't taught in your, in your class. That Not really. Dreamweavers yeah. is something you picked up by, yeah. your, by yourself. Yeah. Just trying to figure out how to make it. Yeah. I do that too, but I feel my my results are not. Uh, <laughs> what comes out? What's in my head and what I can do on the. What I can do on the uh, on the screens, two different things. <clears throat> ten years, ten countries, lots of wild stories, lots of adventures. Is there any adventure left? Are you settled down now? How long have you been in in Korea, like at one for one this last given period? Or oh, yeah, we've been. My wife and I have uh, been settled down, living here for I think eight years at this point. This trip, mm-hmm. um, and we still. I mean, obviously, we're not traveling now, but we like to. To travel, but uh, yeah, right now it's just trying to. I've been trying to like, I'm, I'm like I said, I quit doing comics for other people that I don't care about, and I'm only I'm only focusing on <laughs> things. It, Tommy Lee. <laughs> now I just need to like figure out how to actually make money because I'm making all my dream projects are happening. Mm. Maybe one day I'll make money from them. Is that and then the, you know? Is that the that's the the nature of the of the business? Is it the the yeah. top? He. Uh, I think he made a reference to, like Dav Pilkey, who does uh, Captain Underpants. Yeah, Dav Pilkey. Dav Pilkey, and he uh, he made a reference to him the other day, and I said, I think it's this is the dynamic, like the, the three guys on top, yeah. they write a hundred books and make ten million dollars, and then everyone else, it's kind of a, a a real struggle to to break out. Like all the stuff I'm doing now mm-hmm. with, uh, like the um, Band Book Club and Student Ambassador, Missing mm-hmm. Dragon, two books that came out this year, mm-hmm. those are the first time I've ever gotten royalties for a book. Mm. um previously i've done like anthologies where i get paid a flat rate um or like uh, someone commissions you, know, you for yeah, uh, someone for... commissions me and i just let this is how much you make okay but these are the first books that like i my creation or with and book clothes with my wife but like mm. i'm the writer and when people buy the book i get a percentage cool. um and so once you know i, I once uh, the publisher earns back everything they spend on making and promoting yeah. hiring the artist then i start getting royalties um, I, I heard that should happen at the end of the year. Who knows how much that's going to be? Yeah, you know, yeah. Anything, but like a lot of times, like I'll do stuff on my own. Um, like you mentioned, all the adventure comics, those I did through like I do a Kickstarter to finance the the project mm. and um, like raise money. And if I raise this much, I'll do this many more comics. I never made a lot of money with those because I always did like big collaborative projects, and I always like want to make sure that my artists get paid. And then I, at the end, I'm like, oh, I didn't save any for myself. Yeah. And I actually, <laughs> I actually had to like chip in an extra thousand dollars to make up for my promises. So I'd end up like most of the thing, people be like, wow, he made like $30,000 on Kickstarter. And I'd be like, yeah, but I end up losing a thousand. Yeah. Is that the process that, for example, Dav Pilkey possibly went through where he has to build up his audience? And I, I think that might be the way that everything is going these days, where you build up your core audience and once they trust you or once you you have their their attention then you can kind of slowly insert like hey i got this book you want to see more here's all my free stuff but you know it'd be cool if you support is that the well the 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 thing about making a living in arts is i don't 
I don't know any two artists that have made a living the same way or mm. gotten success in the same way. Yeah. It's just a weird thing of making things that you're passionate about or the other people are passionate mm. about and like something clicks. Yeah. You know, the, there are people making insane amounts of money right now making comics that none of us at this table have ever heard of. Yeah. That like just something they put on Patreon or something that they have a, a t- even, they don't even have that many fans. They have this tiny core group of fans that are p- so passionate about it that they pay a certain amount every month. Yeah. Um, there are people that you've heard of that you think are huge and rich and famous and they are struggling, struggling. Yeah. They don't make anything. So it's, it's a very weird industry. Mm. And the thing, the main thing about it is, is that like artists have the extra switch in their brain. That's like, if I did the, like, if I do this, I'm going to make less money, but I kind of have to do it this way. Cause this is the way I'm passionate about. This is the way that yeah. I care about. Like it's, uh, a lot of the decisions that have led to me not actually making money off of my work yet mm. are just because my own decisions. And mm. I, I know when I'm making them that like, but I I make the thing that I want to make and I hope that something comes out of it or it leads to something else. But looking back, there's no regrets. You you want to make what you want. Man. I, I mean, the, the one, the one uh, <clears throat> regret that I always wonder what would have happened is uh, I, I was doing a book called Aki Alliance. Mm. Uh, it's kind of a, a kid story. And uh, I was doing it for this one website, and then I found out they weren't paying anyone, so I moved it away from there, and I was looking for a new home for it. And this one website, they messaged me, and they're like, yeah, we want to run it on our site. Uh, we, we The pay is very, very small, but we have a deal with a publisher, and they're, they're mm-hmm. talking about some of our books they might publish later. Um, here's a link to the comic we have now, and they sent me this thing, and I'm like, this looks like a child drew it. I don't get it. Yeah. This is um, – I don't – so I, I kind of blew it off. I, I didn't say no, but I like they wanted to see more examples, and I just like put them on the back burner. Put them on the back burner, and it fell apart. And uh, the reason that comic looked like it was drawn by a, a small child is that it was Diary of a Wimpy Kid, oh. huh? which is uh, listeners yeah. don't know is like the yeah. one of the biggest oh man franchises of books and movies. They and didn't just have the lines show. behind. Oh. Yeah, it was. Uh, when you're making creative things, it's like a, a meme that, that gets popular or, or yeah. a YouTube video. You never know what's gonna click with yeah. what's gonna click with people. You can you can take a hundred shots, man. You don't know which one's yeah. gonna fair. Know. Fair to say then that getting famous and getting rich is not the top of the priorities. No, I just want to make things that I'm passionate about. Passionate. And if 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 one of those <laughs> yeah, and like what what's nice is like I've been making stuff long enough that now some of those same projects that like everyone was rejecting and like. I'm just, I'm just going to make it anyway. I don't care. Like now they're starting to get attention. Like the student ambassador that comes up this year, like has been rejected by every single publisher and every single agent. That's a since. great premise like, for a book. Yeah. It's um like I spent like almost two decades trying to get that book to happen. And then finally it's happening. And like Aki Alliance, the one that I talked about mm. that like after that fell apart, I tried to get a publishing deal. Everyone turned it down. And now like the, how can I phrase this without breaking an undisclosure agreement? There's TV stuff happening with it potentially yeah. that like came out of nowhere. The this uh, one or not or, book club, Aki Alliance. Aki Alliance. Okay. Um, and I, I, I've I've heard from people. I've gotten emails about Band Book Club from people that okay, want TV that, shows yeah. that may or may or may not pan out. But like you can make stuff and it might take a ten years or twenty years, yeah. or it might happen the next day. Something might click and happen from it. And, you never know. What is what is the process over twenty years? I mean, that, I think that to someone who's unfamiliar or not familiar with the industry, I think twenty years. I think 
wow, that, I, I think someone would sit down for six months and write a book. Why would it take 20 years or take us through the process of what happens over 20 years? Well, with the example of Aki Alliance, I literally just, oh, no one wants this. I'll make it myself and put it on my website. Boom, done. I forget it exists. The world forget it exists. And it just sits as a button on my website for 20 years. And all of a sudden I get an email that I'm, again, non disclosure agreements, trying to figure out how to say this, but an email that friggin' blew my mind. And I'm like, how did you even find this? I don't know. Yeah. Okay, Whereas, so the 20 years isn't making it. Yeah. It's It yeah. was made and it was just made, sitting there just and sitting then there someone and discovered someone it. it. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, with uh, Student Ambassador, it was actually uh, like I kept trying to rework it. I kept making new versions. I kept pitching it around and get, getting feedback. Mm. And then finally, this time I, I teamed up with another artist and we improved the idea a lot. His art like really worked for it. And, um, and even like originally it was intended like for adults mm. and now it's a kid's book and it, it, which is what's, which is weird because it's the exact same story. I just took out like a few things that didn't need to be there anyway. Yeah. yeah. Like just angry wife. Know, what's that? Angry wife. Angry wife. <laughs> no, it was, just, it was just mostly like characters saying hell or something like that, oh, okay, that like okay. didn't need to be there. Yeah, yeah. And just because I, or, or I was originally making it for a site that was like, action comics for not not adult as in yeah, yeah, yeah you know adult but it was just the art audience was adult when you're when you're making comics. it you're you're yeah you're expecting and now it. it's like a, a a little kid's book with the almost the exact same script Absolutely. and it it kind of branding branding does everything yeah. one more uh one more thing sorry about the about the past and making royalties i heard the i'd call it a, a tragic story about how you didn't put your name on the learn to read hunger in 15 minutes could that have been monetized um, I or did did you ever plan on monetizing? I didn't that? plan. I I literally just made it because I kept having to give the same lesson to friends on napkins, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm just gonna draw it once, and if someone asks me, I'm just gonna like open it on their phone. Yeah, and that's the only reason I did it. I posted it, and it went incredibly super viral to the point that there is a restaurant in China oh, that is a bootleg themed <laughs> Learn to Read Kind of Fifteen that I, someone just sent me a photo of. <laughs> Like it has gotten so viral without my name on it that just it's oh. gone now. It's gone. I mean, I, 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 I released in a Creative Commons because I want people to share it. I want people to learn Hangul. Awesome, um, so people are more than welcome to share it. And I have sold copies at um, conventions and stuff. Oh, cool. Um, nice. I had, I had someone come up to my table. I was telling you that like picked it up and said, "You can't just print shit off Reddit and sell it. Walk away." <laughs> and I'm like, "I, I made it." Yeah. <laughs> So how looking looking at your website, how do you decide what to monetize, what to charge for, what is free? Because lots of your stuff is free, which is I had a great time looking through it. But how do you decide where you're going to make your money? And since you don't have that steady stream, I know you have to build up your following. And if, if it's all for money, people might not even look at it. But they look at it, get interested, buy something else. How do you decide what to charge for and what not? Um, yeah, I mean, when I was first starting, I basically just made things, put them on the Internet because I wanted to share them. Like it. If I started from no nowhere, no one knew who I was. Like they, there's no reason that they would have bought the book. But I just, um, I made a lot of those, and now the only reason a lot of my things you have to pay to read is because they're through publishers, and the publishers allow me to do so much more and bring in artists and you know, things like that. Um, it, it, nowadays, if I make a big project for myself, like a lot of times I'll do like a Kickstarter so that people can pay to like 
be the first people to read it or the first people to listen to it. You throw in some extra yeah. goodies too. I'll yeah. send you a t-shirt or a sticker. Yeah. Or, or like, um, uh, I've done stuff where like, I'll draw you into the background. you being eaten by a oh. werewolf or like, <laughs> um, or if it's that's a radio cool. show, like I'll, I'll thank you in the credits or something like that. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and I, but I, I always, as much as possible, want just people to be able to read my stuff and, yeah. and share it. Um, and now, you know, hopefully all those people that have read the things for free for a long time, now that I have books coming out that are actually in bookstores, mm. hopefully they're like, oh, I've read that guy's stuff. I'd enjoy it. I'll check it out. Yeah. And so, you know, except now that the, the book that's actually gotten hugely popular, Band Book Club, is like, the people that are that are loving it have no idea who I am. It's just my now I'm just riding my wife's coattails because yeah. her story's cool. So all I had to do this whole time, I'll do all these free books. All I had to do was ride my wife's coattails. I never yeah. knew. Let's transition there to to band book club. What was the inspiration for it? Was it the an aha moment, or is this something uh, your wife talks about all the time? How did you guys come to uh, what was your? Well, it, it it's something that she had never talked about. That was the weird thing is that like. We were just walking in the mountains one day and she just casually, like she had bumped into some friends and mm. she just casually, like in conversation was like, yeah, back when we used to be on the run from the KCIA and I got interrogated. And I'm like, wait, when you what? <laughs> yeah. And she's like, oh, I never told you about that. And anyway, you've been moved married, on. You've been married eight years. Yeah, we've yeah. been married eight years at the point. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, wait, you can't just. And she's <laughs> like, it was no big deal. And we were, I was running a band book club or whatever. And then like, I'm, I kept trying to get more details. She's like, that's all there is to it. It's not that interesting a story. And so I just tweeted about it and everyone's like, you got to make this a book. You got to do it like an investigative podcast, something. And I kept asking her and she, and I'd be like, there's nothing else to the story. Sorry guys. Not that, I guess it's not that interesting. And then our, my publisher who I'd worked with in the past, Iron Circus, yeah. apparently saw that tweet and a month later just like subtweeted me. And like, I would like to write a book about that. And I luckily asked, they didn't tag me or anything. Luckily I saw the tweet. I was like, are you subtweeting my wife? And they're like, yeah, do you want to make a book? And I asked my wife, like, do you think we can make a book? She's like, I don't know. No way. So that, was, that came from the bottom up. Yeah. That was uh, yeah. driven by the, and so, by the fans. Yeah, and it was just like I they wanted a book, so I started interviewing her more and asking more questions and pushing more for details. And I'm like, everything she told me, I'm like, wait, you did what? Wait, that was the part you didn't want to tell? That was the boring part? <laughs> and like even a year into working on the book, she'd throw out details that I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. Why didn't you tell me that from the beginning? That changes the whole book. Right? I've, been, I've been married 10 years too. My wife comes home with, you'd think after 10 years you've had every conversation. She'll just come out like, I remember that one time I had a part-time job and, and this happened like, how has that not come up in conversation before? It's, yeah, it's mind blowing, isn't it? So I'm I'm curious then on the the background of your wife. Was she an art? Is she always been an artist? Also, is that part of how you met? Or and, and what about collaborating with her and how that how that stuff works? Yeah, my wife has like zero interest in writing, uh, comics, anything. Uh, like she's been meaning to get around to reading all of my books since I've known her. <laughs> like. Uh, and it, it's it's wild, you know. She, she's a co-writer because it's her story. I can't do it without her. And she, but she was like, "All right, I guess I'll help you write this book." And then like, <laughs> and like, it's amazing. Like, and now since this is her first experience, all of this acclaim that she's getting, like, she just thinks this is what happens when you write a book. She's like, "All right." I'm like, "We got three starred reviews." All right, what's that mean? And I'm like, "It's a it's a really good thing. There's only five you can possibly get, and it's really okay. All right." And like, oh, they want to fly us out to Washington D.C. Oh, I gotta go all the way to Washington D.C. And I'm like, <laughs> and then she, I'd be like, we could like, you know, we could make a sequel. Oh, I gotta write another book. I already wrote one. I'm tired. <laughs> and it's yeah, it's um, 
Maybe sometimes that not caring or, or not being totally invested yeah. in it, that works out in the... Yeah, in it, the, it made a really good book because it's, it's not a book about someone trying to show off. Yeah. It's a book about, like, I'm, I'm just, like, digging and getting all these details of, like, this secret story that nobody, nobody knows. Yeah. And, um, and, yeah, like, it, but what was really cool is that, like, when we were working on Band Book Club, it was me, I'd interview her, ask her lots of questions, and I'd be the one at the, at the, the computer writing and then show it to her. She'd give notes. But then when it uh, got translated into Korean, they hired her as the translator. So then we just switched places where she was the one interviewing me. Like, what does this joke mean? How does, how does this work? And then like, she'd go right and write. And, like, so she, she was the one at the desk and like trying to figure out what all my like English language puns I put in yeah, meant yeah. and how to translate them. And then like it like changing, the, not so much changing the story, but like making things uh, more accurate to her ver- version or like how she wanted to tell it. So it's like a slightly different book because it's from her point of view. Do you find cutting down, you said you had to dig, but I'm sure she gave you a lot more details and, and information that, that wasn't included in the book. Do you find it hard um, making graphic novels to cut down your work? If you're writing a full novel, you have freedom to, to write 10,000 pages, but do you find it hard to kind of condense the stories and make them bite-sized stories? Or What I usually do, like I... I do have issues with uh, sometimes when I tell stories where I try to pack in way too much. Like my, my podcast that I did, Big Data, that's like this uh, crime story. Like I try to pack in so much that it is nearly incomprehensible. Like, <laughs> like the, I love, there's so many good ideas in it. Yeah. But like, I'll just like, I could have made a hundred different shows out of what's in that, yeah, yeah, that yeah. thing. But like when I work on a graph, especially if it's something I've been working on for a long time, if it's something that I like have an idea and I do it quickly, I have the, I have to be really careful that I don't pack in too much. But like the things that I've been wanting to do for a long time, what I do is I, I, I don't actually sit down and write, write, take notes, write a script or anything until many years in the process. They're just like a thing in my mind that I want to make one day. Yeah. And I just kind of think about them a lot. Yeah. And sometimes I'll just be sitting on a bus and I'll like close my eyes and just watch it like a movie. Yeah. Because I've thought about it so much that it's like pulling a DVD off a shelf. Uh, that's cool. And naturally the parts that don't need to be there, the parts that don't fit, the parts that aren't that memorable, I don't remember them. Yeah. And they just disappear. And then it just kind of condenses. It It just, it's like watching slightly different versions of a movie for two decades. And then it's like, man, I've seen this movie so many times. I wish other people could see it. Yeah. And I sit down and figure out how to, it's like a, an ad, everything I do is like an adaptation basically yeah. of a thing no one else has seen. That's I, cool. Oh, that's, yeah. That's really so, cool. So would, does your wife make other art as well i mean is she an artist in other ways does she do other stuff or was just this one-shot deal or uh we've i've, I've basically every time she works on something like it's me peer pressuring her and getting okay. to it like we've <laughs> we've done some stuff for the nib together um we've uh written some other little short comics together uh so that's why i wonder when i read the nib and i read some other ones yeah. and i thought i wonder if that's all you or if you guys collaborate on everything and yeah. basically especially if i the writer's table especially mm-hmm. if i do something about korea i don't you know i want a korean perspective on it mm. i don't want to just be like the the american dude who thinks he's an expert on korea and mm. korean culture and how <laughs> korean people think you said that's so, why that's why you hired a korean artist for yeah. ben book club so yeah. that you can get the essence of and yeah. i felt i felt that when i was you know even in the story i think you did a great job of like the the relationship with her dad who's kind of a strict guy but then here's a little here's a little yeah, uh, pocket money for you mm-hmm. i i really enjoyed that and i think the he said the the comics the hiring hiring out was it was a great mm-hmm. idea That's yeah that like the stuff with their dad is an, an example you're talking about like knowing what to put in a book and what not to put mm. like 
when I was interviewing her family about uh, her dad's steak restaurant, mm. like everyone's like, why are you asking about a steak restaurant? What does that have to do with the political situation yeah. in, the, in the 1980s? And I'm just like, but it's a metaphor for every, like it, like I don't want to make a book about a political situation. I want to mm. make a book about a family yes. and how that affects it. And this is someone who, as you mentioned, stuck their neck out and mm. the whole world said, don't stick your neck out. What are you doing? Oh, and so that's how this family like decided let's not stick our neck out anymore. Yeah. Like that's that. And so to me, those are the, the details that like get me excited that like this means everything, but it's not a lecture. It's a funny story about a dad that got conned by a guy with a fake diploma from a <laughs> yeah. rest, restaurant that didn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> when I read that, I, I felt like cultural essence of, of it, man. It was cool. How, um, how long did this book take? From start to finish, uh, I think it t- it took about two years, but then with, there were a lot of delays and stuff, so there, there was a lot of work still going into it during the all of that. Um, I think it took two, three years, something like that. And do you find after that process, does that? I mean, <laughs> living in the same house with my wife and kids all the time. I mean, yeah, they can get on your nerves, especially here. I'm at home. We got the big houses. You want some free time? Go down to the basement or the man cave, whatever. But I don't know if I could picture working with my wife all the time, especially for two or three years, and where you need to cooperate and and communicate so is essential to get this done and not get frustrated, not lose your temper. Was that an obstacle? Was it challenging, or or do you guys find that you just you just connect and work well together? Is it a full time? Yeah, I don't think they're sitting down for eight hours a day and in exchange. No, but it must be a, it must be a hell of a process going through. Two, that, yeah, two years, three years. We, I mean, we we just try and fill out a government document, and it takes us half an hour, and there's three fights. <laughs> so I can't imagine like that process must be strenuous. I don't. What was it like? And I I I enjoyed it. Just like being able to ask her, like being able, you know, my wife is very not that she like keeps secrets, but like she's very private. It's, it was surprising she let me write that book because like she'll be on Facebook and like gonna post a picture of flowers and she'll be like, who can, who can see this? Who's going to be able? I'm like, it's a flower. What are you? And I'm like, you realize that everyone in the world knows everything about your, right. <laughs> like your life. And uh, so like being able to just like sit down and be nosy and like dig in and like, basically the, the process was like, I'd take her out on dates and like get her, get her like half a glass of wine. So she's ready to talk oh, and then just ask her questions story. and then everything comes out. And then she like the next day, like, show her a script what did i tell you last night (laughs) and then uh and like she would go out and do interviews with the people she met and everything and and i'd like we'd listen to it together and she'd translate Mm. it and all that and it was it was fun like mostly it was it it came became the form of like dates like when we when we researched the town like she took me to her old school and um we just had a, a day off uh in chengwan and go to the university oh, we nice. ended up like uh the 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 building where a lot of it take, took place we didn't even know this but we got there and it was like condemned they were tearing it down the next day no way and we're like and like the door was open we're like well let's go take reference pictures and we like walked around this completely abandoned ghostly building no, full man. of like and it was it was an experience. Blast, yeah. yeah, and we just, an and then experience. we go to the the park where they, you know, they had their romantic time and mm. like take all the same walks and like go to the bus stop and that's awesome. It's fun. So, do you feel that you're a lot, you you know her a lot better now, and that you're a lot closer because of this whole kind of process? Yeah, it's just this whole side of her that I had no idea existed <laughs> that now I do. Yeah. Like when I when I used to go to Weharmonies and I I would say, Yobo, I have like ten thousand questions to ask her. 
And she's like, why do you want to know that? Oh, Hindra. I, it doesn't matter. Well, she lived through the war, man. She's an encyclopedia. Yeah. And she's your grandma. So you guys aren't curious. You don't want to ask her all. She doesn't know anything. She doesn't remember anything. But I'm like, so I don't know if I could. <laughs> I couldn't even get like four or five questions about the war times from uh -huh. grandma. So I, I think it would be really cool if you could have that kind of friendship and relationship to go and do all that stuff would be awesome. But no, yeah, I had a hard time getting grandma's answers. Yeah. Well, that's why the book is an excuse to be able to do that and go talk to uh, my mother-in-law, my father-in-law. And like, you know, if I just sat down and asked them questions, they'd be like, what's your deal? What's wrong? But if I'm like, <laughs> so I got to start telling them I'm yeah, writing a book. Okay. Yeah, Choose up. I'm telling them. And, got like, a book coming and the, the thing <laughs> is like everyone we interviewed, no one understood why we were interviewing. Cause like the, the thing is that just everyone in Korea in that area had this experience. Not that they had the exact same experience, but they lived through this whole thing, so they don't. They think it's not special. It maybe in like twenty years, if, if someone's writing a book about twenty twenty, you got a lot of stories. Talk, talk everyone, about Corona. Well, yeah, like whatever. Everyone, it was, it yeah, was, you're, gonna be like, you're gonna be like, what? Yeah, I didn't do anything special. But like that's, everyone did it. That's where your talent comes in, yeah. right? You got the the keen eye to to pick up. Yeah, the, you got to figure out what's details. what's special and what makes it interesting. And, and they got to realize this is going to people who have no idea this happened. At the end of the book, it says that the characters aren't, I don't know how exactly how you said it. The characters, some characters are mixed. Yeah, we amalgamated people together. Yeah. yeah okay. like, because, you know, I, we did all these interviews. We got all these stories. Like everyone's memories are broken. Like I, I we don't know exactly who said what and what order, who mm. was there for what event. And also, like, you know, not that they're crimes now, but mm. we still I'm interviewing people and they're admitting to crimes. I don't want to, like, blow up their spot. you know. Yeah. And, and also, like, <laughs> and also, like, since I don't know the exact words they use, I don't want to accuse someone of saying something they didn't say. Absolutely. So I just created, like, based on the interviews we had, the story that happened, I created, like, a set of three characters that then I had them go through their stories. I think that's a that's a great way to go. I read one I was looking through some of the uh, some of the criticisms and one guy said like this is supposed to be a true story. Well, this isn't true at all. This is just a, a mishmash of of uh, of characters and you don't know it. But I, I think what you did that's a that's a, a wicked approach to it, man. That's possibly the only way that you could that you could tell the story like you said without uh, without blowing up people's spots. Yeah, what was, what was <laughs> funny was like I said I I did that because I didn't want to like blow up people's spots yeah. but then like everyone that was in the it has a character based on them or like every institution that has a school based on them mm. has been out doing press yeah to make sure people know like Changwon university in the book we call it anjan university which yeah. is a pun that means safety school yeah and like i'm like well the whole book is about how she didn't want to go there yeah and like they it wasn't exactly the greatest experience so i'm like i'm not gonna like like it's it's a completely different institution now but they're they're into it they they put out press they put out press releases to like every newspaper in the country. It like got yeah, published awesome. everywhere. And they're, you know, because now the people that were fighting against what was going on are now in charge of it. Absolutely. And the mayor of Changwon invited us out. And I like, saw that, yeah. Uh, gave us gave us fancy wine bottle openers <laughs> like like and like I took pictures and put out press and everything and, like, make sure banner too well, yeah, wants to make sure everybody knows it's Changwon. So so when you were doing the interviews with her friends and and the, the people I mean, Korea is a pretty conservative culture. Yeah. I would be willing to bet most of them weren't just sitting there waiting to divulge all this information. Um, and that are they asking, like, why do you one? Why do you want this? And don't don't put my name. And I mean, there must have been a lot of 
apprehension apprehension in the, in the in that process right yeah I don't, well what's surprising is that not at all the people were no. super, they were super like but they're rebels yeah, right yeah they're rebels yeah. that was their whole thing mm-hmm. but like they were just like uh, and again they were like i'll tell you whatever you want but i don't know why anyone's gonna gonna want to listen to it oh, and so they huh. like they they just spilled their guts because they didn't think it was going to be anything and then now they're like oh wow this is actually a thing people but are so that's this. what i mean though like yeah. they don't it's what that would, i mean yeah. how long ago three four five years ago when were you working on that? Uh, about three years ago yeah. so i mean twitter and, and instagram and stuff and like they don't think shit i don't really want to be that famous guy online for doing something if somebody does think it well like all of them were that naive to think ah nobody's gonna want this i mean you don't go and tell them you might be really famous one day and then they might not tell you but well like like i said i i I gave them these fake names so they wouldn't be famous but then now like for example the character that the woman that uni was based on is her name is kim Kyung young she's a politician Mm. uh now and she's she's been the one pushing. She's the one that like got the mayor to bring invite us out, and she was there for the, those photos. She was ah, cool. with, like she's been doing her own inter- like she'll just like send me a link like I did an interview about your book. I'm like oh okay all right you're doing interviews too great nice like, wanted, like she's she's super into it because she wants to like uh, she wants people to later vote for her because she's uni you know like Kim Kim Young or Young Kim Young 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 I was I was gonna ask you mentioned Lion who. Iron Circus, and when I look at the website, there's so many. You're affiliated with so many different. I don't know if they're if they're all publishers or what they are, but how do you? If somebody likes you and loves you, wouldn't they be interested in a lot of your stuff, or is it that Iron Circus is only interested in this particular stuff that you do, or how do you go through and how do you manage so many different people and, and connections and publishers and other stuff? I just look for any opportunity I can to get a story. There's so many stories I really want to tell. And I look for any opportunity I can to to get it out there. Um, you know, I do stuff in anthologies. I do stuff, you know, just I'll see an open call for an anthology and be like, I got a short story that would work for that. If, you know, they don't often pay a lot. But like, for example, for an anthology, I'll just like, if there's an artist I've, I've been meaning to work with, I'll talk to them and be like, if we pitch this anthology and we let, and you take all the money, but then later when we get the rights back, I can put the comic on my website. That, that works out. Just, I get a free comic based on something I want to make for my website. Um, or just like, uh, you know, I've done some books for Scholastic recently that just, you know, is kind of work for higher stuff that, you know, it's basically like doing homework, like a kid's book about dinosaurs. So I got to Google about <laughs> different kinds of dinosaurs. And like, I, I literally feel like I'm doing sixth grade homework. But, right. um, you know, with Iron, you know, I love working with Iron Circus. Um, and, but I'm still looking for other publishers for other things because, like, I have this long list of books I want to publish, like a bunch of sequels to Band Book Club I want to make, a bunch of sequels to Student Ambassador I want to make. Like, I, you know, I don't want to like bump something else out of line because, like, I keep every time I pitch someone on your circus, I'm like, I don't want you to get sick of me. Like, we're not sick of you. Keep sending us stuff. But also, like, I want, I have like, I already have like eight sequels to Student Ambassador I want to make. There's, I've, I'm already working on. Uh, a sequel to Bam Book Club, and we're trying to get a third going. So, like, I'm, you know, I, I want to d- diversify and have stuff in, in different places, different right. places where people can encounter my work, different places will get my work in front of different eyes. You don't want to paint yourself into a corner, yeah. right? How do, you, how do you manage and prioritize all those? You have eight sequels in your head that you want to do, among a million other things. How do you prioritize, or what goes on the back burner? What is, how do you focus, how do you prioritize what you want to do? Um, well, when, I mean, like I said, I have so many things I want to do and it's just <laughs> eventually like, I'll just get really excited about one and I feel like it's time and I got to find a way to make it. Or 
I'll have, uh, I'll suddenly have a venue for it, a publisher that's interested in it, um, a place that I can pitch it to, and then it, it becomes uh, a possibility. And it just kind of, uh, any opportunity I can to get one of them out. I like that, man. I don't in any way want to uh, equate myself to you. But, ready? <laughs> no, but, you know, I do, uh, I got a crappy website and I, I hire an artist to do very basic, uh, very basic comics. But similar to you, I'm doing, um, I'm condensing stories into, into 24 panel, very yeah. simple, very simple comics. What I find important for me when I'm, trying to write or if I'm if I'm making something is my workspace okay I work uh, from my house or from a coffee shop I like certain kind of music I like that lo-fi the you know lo-fi music yeah like the the, the slow beats you know I, I I need to have a strong coffee to do it you got that YouTube channel with the girl with the headphones is that called? listen oh. lo-fi beats to study to or something like that chilled chilled cow Oh, okay. dude, they got just just the pictures. Just looking at those pictures, <laughs> I, it gets me in the mood to write or to, to do anything, to be creative. The names of the even the names of the thing like 1 a.m. study session or, you know, chilling on a Saturday afternoon, like lazy Sunday, things like it, it's really cool. I, I enjoy it. Anyways, would uh, tell us about your your workspace when you're when you're drawing maybe not when you're interviewing obviously but or writing you say when one of those things you, yeah. you get excited this is the time do you sit down for three days straight and just pound it out or is it do you work in short spurts or how do you do well, it my writing part like i can't come up with i i can't sit at a desk and come up with ideas it's physically impossible for me i can only i i develop ideas when i'm sitting on a bus when i'm riding a bike when i'm walking up a mountain yeah. when i'm out in the world and just kind of like just zoned out um yeah. and it and it's not even like times that i specifically intend to go out and do it like i'll just be there are periods where i, I have a lot of projects to do so i like literally on the way to work i have to wear headphones because i know that if my headphones aren't in i'll start thinking and i'll come up with six more projects I'm like, yeah, <laughs> to finish these but like once <laughs> once like you when you when i'm on a bus and all of a sudden i get that one idea that like and that's another thing when you know it's the time is when, like, I'll have an idea for a story, and there's all these different. I know the scenes, I know the characters, but there's one thing that it needs to tie it all together, and I don't. Know, and all of a sudden, I'll figure out what the story is missing, and that I'm like, oh, that makes this work. This fits oh, it together. And then it's it like so it's the oh, it's like then. the greatest drug in the world when I'm like, oh, all I need is this one character that says this or something, and then there's a reason for this character to do this, and then it's like I have to get. Then it's I have to get done write it down, and then it's just um. Typing at a desk, sitting on the sofa, whatever. Yeah, like yeah. it's, at the, at that point, it's just like it's so Get it out. like it's so in my head that like I have to sit down and write it, and then it it doesn't sound like it did in my head and editing and everything. It's just a mad scramble ah. to get it before it's gone, and so um, yeah, that's the process for me writing and then drawing. I I'm very different from other people in that like you know, other people they'll have like here's their their pens, here's their paper, they draw it this size. They rule it out. They, um, or a lot of people do digital. I'm still very Amish. And, yeah. That's what I was going to ask. Paper. What kind of software would yeah. you use? Um, you say you scan. Yeah. You scan but your, like your I, I won't sit there and like draw out the page. Like I'll just, even like when I'm teaching classes, I'll just be like uh, drawing stuff that's going to happen in the future. I'm like, oh, I like this drawing. And I'll just ink it and then scan it and like pop it into a panel. And like 
like I'll, I'll have accidentally drawn on a kid's test and be like, I'll give you your test tomorrow. I can yeah, take yeah, it home yeah. and scan it. <laughs> and that like, I, I'm just very, whatever materials I have on hand, whatever paper I have on hand. Flexible. And then later kind of in Photoshop, I'll just kind of collage it together to make it work. Writing VS illustrating. What's the preference? What do you, yeah, I, I definitely, uh, writing is the part that I enjoy. It's the part that I care about. I, I draw comics in situations where, um, where I, you know, if I'm making a book that I'm passionate about, I don't have a publisher, I need to get it out. Like me drawing it is the way to get that story out. Right. But, um, it's not the part that I love and it's kind of the drudge work of it. And so now working with publishers, I'm so happy to be able to work with mm. other artists that are much more talented than me and like get stuff back and be amazed by it. When you write Ben book club, when you're writing, say, uh, the first 10 pages or the opening of the thing do you write out a, a full story first and then condense it or do you write it as panels do you like what, in, in your head are you imagining like oh this happens first this happens first? are you picturing in pictures the or first thing i always do is write it like a movie script where it's just dialogue ah. um and sometimes you know if there's something visual that needs to be in there i'll put it in just like a movie script would have it ah, and then once that's because you know if i'm sitting there and saying panel one panel two panel three I'm going to later change that dialogue and it's not good. It's going to break everything. Oh, the dialogue. So once all the dialogue is done, then I'll edit that, edit that, make sure that's perfect. And then I'll be like, now how do I translate this onto a page? Oh, and like within a page, um, you want to make sure a page is like a, a complete thought. Not that a page has to stand alone, but like a sentence. Mm. You don't want to like stop in the middle of someone's <laughs> thought. Yeah, and yeah. you got to turn the page to see what you're <laughs> thinking. Like you want each page to mean something. Uh, or a sentence, a paragraph, and just kind of break that up. And then when I collaborate with someone, I always have a before I do that second step where I break it into a comic script. I'll I'll do it as a movie movie style script, mm. and then I'll ask them how they like to work. Some people they like to um, have this is panel one. There's a tree here. There's a, you know the, the this person's facing this way. This person's sitting down. Yeah. Some people. They're like, that's my job. I'm the artist. Mm. I'll figure out how to create it visually. You just tell me what they're saying. Yeah. And so I'll, you know, I can work either way. I, I definitely have, you know, I've watched it in my head a thousand times. I have a way that I have seen it. That doesn't mean it has to be that way. Mm. I'll gladly, if you want to draw it exactly that way, mm. I'll gladly be anal retentive and tell you exactly what happens and like be super annoying about it. Yeah. But if you want to go nuts and make it, it's always better when someone else, because even the ways I describe things or the way I break up panels doesn't necessarily fit the way they draw. Mm. Like the, I'll have, um, you know, for example, just the way I have someone stutter and say, um, in the sentence, like I'll, I'll do like a few panel. They say the first word, then have a few panels that uh, make weird faces. Mm. And that doesn't work for the way someone else draws. And they'd be like, why am I wasting six panels on nothing? <laughs> like, but they have this creative way to do it yeah. in other ways. It's much better. The the guys that, uh, <coughs> when I hired the artist, I, I, I don't draw at all. I'm terrible, terrible at illustrations. But I commissioned the, the cheap artist on Fiverr to uh, do my stuff. And I said, 100%, do whatever you want. And I think really, like you said, trust in the professional or letting them decide was awesome. They came back with some silhouette. Unless he's the steak cook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he comes back with the, with silhouette pictures. And I go, oh, man, I, I would never, in my mind, like you said, I had the picture, but he came back. 
my favorite uh, panels are the are the ones with silhouettes, and I went, these are awesome, and I never would have thought to to do it. It summarizes exactly what I wanted to exactly what I wanted to say. Yeah, well, like you know, I I've, I'm so happy when I work with art, like with student ambassador. Um, like I said, I I've been trying to get this book off the ground for like 20 years, and I, I was always <laughs> yeah. going to draw it myself, mm. and I was never happy with the way it it looked, and it, yeah. and obviously publishers weren't happy or agents weren't happy either. And um, I could never get it to look the way it did. And as soon as I brought Axer Enius, who's the artist from Mexico, as soon as I brought him on, he just sent me these sketches. And I'm like, this is the character. Man, that, like, that I, kid running out is awesome. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and then, like, another thing that I didn't even think of that, like, I, I I felt it. And I tried to describe, like, I was trying to describe how it how they matched the character. And he's like, oh, yeah, well, the way they acted, Joseph just acts like a, a dog. And the other one acts like a cat who doesn't care about anybody. And I'm like... And so I gave him like kind of pointy hair and him yeah. like kind of, th- and I'm like, you drew him as a dog and a cat and it make it like, I see it. Yeah. <laughs> it makes sense. Cool. Like it's it just like, like the, the one, like his eyes are kind of cat like and mm. like pointy and like the little, little taller pupils and yeah. it, not, it doesn't look like a cat. He didn't draw him as a cat, but he just embedded this feeling that I wanted to express through dialogue oh, that I would awesome. never have thought to do in that way. Trust the profession. And just right? it, it, just as soon as I saw that drawing, I'm like, I cannot ever see. I don't ever want to see the drawings I did again. Yeah. <laughs> they'll, they'll creep me out. But in 20 years, someone's gonna want those original. Well, when this is when this is the next Captain Underpants, you'll be uh, you'll be selling those uh, those original drawings. I'm curious. What a lot of your work is. As I, I went through a bunch of the different parts on your on your site, there, a lot of the work is about you or your life, or you're in a lot of it. What is it like? cartooning about yourself or, or telling your own experiences, your own stories. And like, I mean, now this one is fairly famous and what is it like always doing it about you? And do you ever feel like that's not really me or what am I portraying myself as, or is it, how do you, how do you feel when you're doing that stuff as opposed to writing about everything else or everybody else? Yeah. Well, the big thing about making comics about yourself isn't so much the feeling of making it. It's the feeling of like, the rest of your life, every experience you have is filtered through that. Where you're like, this this, this could be a comic. I, can't, <laughs> I, I, I have to I have to be careful how I respond to this because I don't want to look like a dick in the comic, like um, or like you. I just th- I I I look at life as a narrative where like um, I I think about like what would I do if this were a comic because it might be one day, and um, and I there are comics that I've worked on where like. I, I tried to make the comic for years and it didn't really work until I realized I'm trying to make myself look good in the comic. And <laughs> the whole, the whole thing that makes this interesting is that I'm actually the bad guy in the story. Right. And so when I, I do it or like I'm the idiot in the story or I did something completely wrong and being able to like admit Show that yourself in that yeah, way. and poke fun at yourself. Right. Um, and I, I kind of did that by like telling the stories on stage and like events in Busan and like real, like tell the same story a few times. And you realize that like, Oh, people don't care about the, I thought I was cool. People care that like, I'm an idiot. <laughs> like that's right. what makes the story interesting. I can admit that. I got no problem with that. Sure. And that's what makes it fun. When I retell stories in class, or if you're giving the same lesson several times <laughs> over the, what's it? I just think we think some stories are so funny. We could tell them three of our times and, you don't you don't think that's funny? You didn't like that story? When when we can tell it or say it to ourselves or, or to someone we know that knows the same story and we think of it a certain way and other people think, 
Uh-huh. I don't get it. Why Why is that so important? Why I, is it so funny? I find the first time, if I'm telling a story, if it, it might be clunky the first time I, I do it on a Monday, but by Friday, you've, you kind of fine-tune uh, the, yeah. the exact points. You know when they're going to laugh or, or exactly what uh, what vocabs to use or, or how to how to explain it. And you kind of refine your, refine your story. I, I'm curious what you think about the anthologies. Is that kind of... Uh, working together is better, you know, like you said before, the story wouldn't probably make it out on its own. So doing it together is is an easier way to to get it out. Um, and what is that like compared to doing something on your own? Anthology is just a, a nice way to get a short, simple thing out in the world. Uh, uh, get your work in front of eyes that normally wouldn't see it. Someone might buy a book because there's an artist that they know and they discover someone that, that they don't know. Uh, a lot of anthologies are on interesting themes that make you write about something you wouldn't otherwise write about. Uh, it's just a really fun thing to to do. Uh, like back a long time ago, it used to be the anthologies were like never paid, like you'd be laughed at if you suggested it. Iron <laughs> Circus is kind of the one that changed that uh, and started paying people for anthologies. And now it's kind of industry standard that it uh, it pays pretty well to do anthologies. So it's, it's just a nice way to, um, you know, get it one of the million ideas in my head, like get that out, just get that out of the way. And when um, they do it, you said they put out a calling for it and then you, you write something or is this something you've already done and you say, Hey, I got a story for that and just submit your story. That's usually, or whatever it is. Usually you just pitch, uh, an idea. They'll, they'll say, you know, some anthologies are, are by invitation. Some they'll just say like, uh, we're doing it. Here's the theme. It's, uh, uh, science fiction that takes place in Latin America. Send us some pitches. Right. Um, and that, the reason I do a lot of comic anthologies and not a lot of uh, writing prose, I, I, I like writing prose. I don't get a lot of it published because, like, when you pitch a comic, you can just say, here's my idea. And if they like it, they'll be like, you're in, make it. Whereas <laughs> if you write prose, you have to finish the entire story, right. even a novel. Like, if I want to pitch a novel, I have to write the novel. Yeah. <laughs> and then they could look at it and be like, oh, I don't want that. Yeah. But I, I wrote a whole novel. <laughs> And you wouldn't look at it until I wrote it. Whereas with a comic, it's the opposite. They don't want to see the finished comic because they want to have some input on on everything. And the surprises. Yeah. yeah. And like it, it's just so much more work and money to make. That like, I I love I love pitching. Like if I I pitch so many things that if I had to make every one of them before I pitched it, You'd kill your. I would literally like I would never be able to make it all. But I just I'm always pitching stuff. And that helps decide what you're gonna do as well. Yeah. Right? Cool. So I, I don't know how mainstream your stuff is in Korea or how, but a lot of it is related to Korea, right? I mean, there's a lot of different, especially your your anthologies there. And the nib was a cool one, the Ojoy sex toy, um, obviously the the book. Do you ever think that if your stuff or or you become more famous or more well known, that do you ever worry or or think about uh, the cancel culture and would you be subjected to that? Uh, it's not something I were. I mean, I mean, if you mean like people holding me accountable for things that I said, like I've had, I've said things in, in, in uh, books or something that people were like, that's not great. And I'm like, Oh, and I realized that, that and uh, apologize and fix it. Like I, I remember one specific time where uh, I was like, I was complaining about custom comics and I said something about like, uh, if I refuse to do any more wedding comics, does that make me racist against brides? And someone was like, <laughs> Hey, racism is a real thing maybe you shouldn't use it as a punchline about wedding comics yeah, yeah, yeah. and i like and i could t like they, they were really like careful about it like they don't want to offend me yeah, yeah and i'm like 
that really was kind of a dumb, unnecessary thing to say. And I apologize. And like, and I think about that all the time when I make jokes, like, am I just trivializing something important for a joke that's not even good? Yeah. And so I, I like, I, I, I don't know. I welcome people telling me when that happens. And like, even now, like I, I've, I've changed a lot of my comics just because I reread them. I'm like, ah, is that joke really worth it? Right. Um, and so I'll, I'll go in a lot and just, not even say anything just oh, and just spilled water all over everything yeah, I do. and just uh you know suddenly little george lucas a comic and it's it's different and i don't even mention it to anybody mm. and that's and that's the fine line of of 2020 i guess because i mean we we were talking we had a guy on last week from ghana a young young man and we were talking about the samuel cheery stuff and like you know if he if he had made that tweet or facebook post or whatever in the heat of the moment and a couple of Koreans took it the wrong way and all of a sudden, poof, it's it's gone and all of a sudden he's canceled three TV shows and Instagram. And I just wonder when you're writing like the the nib one on Moon Jae-in and, and Trump, is, I, I think it's great. But now even doing this, I'm always like, oh, you, you got to be. I, and, you know, I don't want it to reflect on my wife or, or my wife's family or my kids or so I'm always, don't, always. Don't you think anyone who would tribute something you said here to your wife or kids is crazy anyways but but it's but i don't control how the world works like yeah and maybe you don't care but if your wife's pictures online and they're they're you know it creates a lot of stress or tension in the relationship you end up divorced i mean yeah i do i, I don't care if they think it's I'm, they th- i think they're crazy or not mm. if it's going to have a significant or negative impact on my life then maybe i should reconsider but where's where's the line that's the problem yeah well if i if i lose opportunities because of something I stand by, mm. I don't like it. Like what Samuel Gary said, I would stand by that. Mm. And if I lost an opportunity, if I like, I'd be all right, fine. That's an opportunity that wasn't for me. Yeah. Um, it, you know, and the thing is with me, like I, I make weird creative things on my own and work with a million people. Like mm. no one can fire me. like individually a bunch of publishers could say we don't want to make this book anymore a bunch of readers could say we don't want to read your stuff anymore but i have like i just make weird things that i'm passionate about in many different (laughs) ways like it would i'd have to do something real bad for all of them that's insurance that's insurance Um, and that's the good part working in this industry and and for yourself that you don't have anyone that can directly fire you yeah but like if i if i did something that like by mistake, it sounded like I said something I didn't mean. Then I would feel terrible. Wait till you hear the final like, edit of this. Oh, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, I, I don't want to get too much in it, but there's a guy at the radio station I work at that was in the news recently, and things, like, lost his show and everything. And, oh, like, like th- things, can, things can happen. Because of something he said? Because of something that he did. But, um, yeah, I mean, there, there are situations where you just suddenly you're, you're what people are talking about, and it can affect bottom line but i just try to only do things that i can stand by and mm. then uh if i get into trouble for it i can be like well i meant it yeah <laughs> just and, basically uh, comes I, in all those situations i mean there might be some ignorance <laughs> at play but, make a comic about it <laughs> but I, I don't think it's it's i mean in most cases it's not intentional I mean, the same with the Philippine Filipino girl with the set tattoo and i mean it's not you're not intentionally trying to hurt somebody and if it indirectly does the problem now is that you can't even apologize. It's already, it's gone way too big and viral no, and exploded before you have a chance. you've done something wrong. And if you stand by what you what you really believe, then if you haven't done anything wrong, there's no need but, to But apologize. for example, the girl got the tattoo. 
Yeah. She didn't know. She was ignorant to the fact that the, the yeah. Koreans don't. So she said, listen, I'm sorry, Koreans. I, I did it because I liked it, yeah, but yeah. I didn't know it was going to impact you this way. Hmm. You can say sorry for that. That doesn't mean you did something wrong. True. Uh, but but she's spoiled in all of Korea. I mean, she's done. Okay. And, and it's had now it's had a major effect between both countries, right? Like, it's it's a different world. I mean, it's not it's not like it used to be. I wanted to ask you when we had we had talked about before about teaching your craft or teaching your trade to younger people. Um, but even in Busan, is there any kind of creative spaces, or do you work or volunteer? I I don't know. We've talked about it here so many times to have that creative space where people can come and do whatever they want. Book club, art club, and we'll and there's not really. I mean, in the Korean uh, communities, it might, but for as far as foreigners, it's kind of, you know, we do this, they do that, and it's there's not really a collective place or area. Do you have those things in Busan? Do you want to pass on your your skills to to other people, or yeah, I could talk a little bit. About that. I run a group in Busan. Um, one of the people who run a group called Busan Creative Circle. That it's 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 come. It's had a, a few different forms that uh, we basically we just try to create a space where anyone's trying to do any kind of art can just plan events and talk and like we used to every once in a while we'll do like uh 12 hour comic days where everybody comes in in 12 hours you make a 12 page comic and people have made their very first comic at that and then gotten a book deal um wow. and uh <laughs> we or just uh you know we collaborate with all of the people to do open mics and things like that um it it's weird it's had a bunch of starts and stops because we started it it was going very well and then we had a member join that uh, was a stalker, I guess is the best way to say it. <laughs> that kind of like, kill your mojo like a that stalker. kind of like we had to stop having events because it was just putting people in danger of being like <laughs> uh, approached by the stalker that we couldn't get to stop coming. And Why does that seem like a common theme uh, in a lot of different, <laughs> a lot yeah, of different Facebook was, groups and? Like, it was someone that at first it was like, ah, ha, ha, yeah, she's uh, interesting. And then later we'd hear more and more and be like, oh, this is a dangerous human being that uh, weird, we're scared man. of. And then we just kind of had to purposely sabotage our group until this person left the country and then get it going again. And then Corona huh. happens and we can't meet. Wild. But, I, uh, I always yeah. dream, I said, my, my dream is to open a barbershop or, or a coffee shop, just somewhere where people can, can come and hang out. And then you think, when I really thought about it, like, what if you just get that weirdo that comes in every day and just wants to hang out or do weird things to your other customers? Actually, I think we have a group of friends who do that at a, at one of our other friends' bar. But, <laughs> but you know, that's uh, that's something you gotta you gotta deal with. So yeah, we had a woman that would like follow people home at night and like uh, to ensure show, they got show up too. late and start like screaming at people for not waiting for her when she showed up four hours late to a twelve hour thing and I. It oh was scary. God. It was terrifying. She's not related to So Myung Jo. No, no, no. So Myung Jo. No. <laughs> what What about for younger people? I mean, you said that you you work at the the library teaching and stuff. Does this stuff ever come into your mind as something that you would like to work with younger people or uh, teach the trade? And and I mean, nowadays with the technology, illustration, and all this stuff, it's a lot easier. The world is a lot more connected, but. Um, do you ever think of working with young kids in terms of monetization? I like um, I would equate you with uh, who's that? That Nas Daily, Nas Daily. He's got the he really the videos, really pumped up videos on um, on YouTube or whatever on Facebook. You see his stuff, and he's just created the Nas Academy. He's he has a million followers, and when you talk about monetization, I thought, why aren't you teaching? 
Why, why aren't you? Is it a teachable? Maybe that's a good question. Is it a teachable thing? Can you, can you show people how to, how to draw or how to tell stories properly or what? Well, the... I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I I try to do as much as I can. To not mm. nothing that's monetized, but I've done lots of like Yet. blog posts and videos <laughs> and and things to to share what I know. But I mean, there like especially like with drawing. There's so many people that are better at drawing than me. For me, drawing is a means to an end, yeah, not yeah. the thing that I'm actively developing. Yeah, or, yeah. And like with storytelling, um, I, I don't want other people to write like me. I want people to write like themselves. Mm. I want people to write the books that only they can tell. And I the, the stuff I, I do about, about how-to is more about how to figure out how you make art mm. and make the art that only you can. I'm I'm more interested in focusing on telling my own stories and and then just being helpful to people in any way that I can than trying to like make a business out of teaching classes or mm. anything. But I just try to to be there and open and helpful to people with sharing and bits and pieces that I know on social media or whatever. Oh, that's such a man! I I get such a bad habit of everything I start. It's it, yeah. It's always like, how can I monetize this? Where where does this where does the money come into? And it, because ironic. that's the society we live in now. Everybody wants to be a YouTube creator. Everyone wants to be a video pro gamer. Everyone wants to be. But ironically, the things I enjoy the most make no money. <laughs> Which is I don't know. What are you gonna do? That's the. Well, what they say: if you do if you do something you love with all your passion, it will turn into money. Yeah. And that's I think what you're doing. You do it because you love it, and eventually someone. Hey, I, I like this, and this guy's really good, and it turns into money. Yeah. As long as you continue doing it and you do it with everything you got, then whatever it is, it should be successful. Yeah, but for for teaching, like for example, the I really enjoyed. The, I taught this one class at Dongan University once, a, a summer program, and I taught a public speaking class. And my favorite thing was not teaching like this is what you should say, this is how you should say it, but mostly getting people to not freak out. Uh, the very first thing I did was we had a bad speech contest. Ah, and I, I printed out like some of the most famous speeches like celebrities uh speeches like i have a dream yeah. like the uh, commencement speeches and i'm like these are all like amazing speeches i want you to be as bad as you can and then i had them I, at the board i'm like <laughs> you tell me what makes a bad speech speaking too loud speaking too soft mumbling mm. uh not making eye contact making too much eye contact and then i had them go up one by one and purposely and they, like they came alive because if I just asked them to go up on stage they'd be all awkward and scared and they like came alive because they've never been allowed to suck before yeah, yeah. and they and they're suddenly ha like there's one girl that went up and she was super nervous and like scared and shaking and I'm like oh she's not getting it and all of a sudden she started screaming I'm like oh that was what first one the first one was looking nervous and scared not making eye contact she, she was acting the eye, and then she like and then she like starts pacing around and walking away from the microphone and they had so much fun and they realized that like, oh, everything I've been afraid of doing my whole life happened. And that's what happens to me when I do open mics. Like I, I don't mind bombing in an open mic. Like it's like, <laughs> it's like, um, this audience I, yeah, sucks. You, you realize that like everything you feared has just happened. You bombed or you're, you're still you, alive. you made all the mistakes and nobody cares. Yeah. Like it's, it's fine. Yeah. And so then the next week I had a good speech contest where I, they took the same speech day to do a good job. And then I purposely tried to sabotage them and make it the worst situation they could have. Yeah. Like I'd just go up and stand next to them while they're talking or like <laughs> they had the, the, you know, the screen that goes up and down. Like I just <laughs> behind them, but they'd already had the experience of bombing. So they weren't stressed anymore. And, yeah. they, and then like the whole audience would give them a standing ovation. <laughs> and then it's like, that's what I want to teach people is how to get past those blocks in your mind that make you afraid 
of just like you know how to write you know how to tell a story just tell it the way that you do do it a lot and it gets better yeah so that's that's what i want to teach people sound advice man. that's that's what i've found for us i mean working with the ngo and going to the government meetings or or giving speeches in front of larger crowds <clears throat> that man refining my skills at university lecturing to 50 100 150 kids really helps me become more comfortable in other settings you still get nervous but my nervous is only for two seconds instead of two minutes now. Yeah. But first day, first semester, I still get the butterflies. I still get nervous. But it's only for that first second. Hello, everyone. Good morning. <sighs> okay. I love doing this. I, I enjoy it. And like we were talking before the show happened, like I, you know, people, I've talked to people, I've tried to get my wife to do more podcasts and she's so nervous about doing podcasts and a lot of people were scared about doing it. And like, how are you so confident doing it? It's like, I'm not confident I'm going to do great. It's just, I've been on a lot of terrible podcasts <laughs> and I, the world didn't end. Yeah. Right. This could completely bomb. And I just don't have to link to it on Twitter. Nobody will ever know. Like, right. I've heard you, I've heard you single-handedly <laughs> carry one podcast. Man. That, was, uh, that was quite the. So I, I got a question back to the, the collaboration and the working. I think most people would agree that Korea is a very unique uh, culture, a very unique country very homogeneous country. What are your experiences collaborating with Koreans? And I'm not getting you to poo-poo or shit on Koreans, but collaborating with Koreans compared to other international, uh, you said the, the guy from Mexico and stuff. What is it like? Because, I mean, I coached the hockey team and we were playing last night. If I ask them to do a drill, they still look for the oldest guy to go first, even if he's the worst guy on the team. And I'm like, that's not how it works on the ice. On the ice, we're not by segregated by age we're all hockey players and we just do what i say please so what is it like for you i mean i'm just picturing if you're you're the the master of the show and the guy's older than you and you ask him but i'm older than you don't don't tell me to do that how, how does it work for you and what is the collaborating process like with the koreans vs others well my uh experience collaborating here has mostly been with my wife and a few uh Korean artist. I haven't really, um, I mean, except for the story you've heard me tell about uh, being tricked by a person into working for a company that didn't exist. That's a whole other thing. That's but, the craziest thing I've yeah, ever heard. Yeah. He told, I didn't hear yeah. He told me that. Was like, yeah. <laughs> um, but like, for, for me, the biggest difference in working in Korea is that the, like the publishing industry is completely different. Mm -hmm. And like between these two versions of Band Book Club, it's wild. Like, um, like Band Book Club, like it was done and copies me sent out to reviewers like a year and a half before it came out but then like the korean version it's like it's coming out next week i might change the name and like they literally <laughs> changed the name a week before it came out and then like he's coming up like how are we going to promote this book i'm like well here's a list of places that we could do signings like oh we don't do signings in korea maybe <laughs> do you, you don't do signings in korea? like eh, it's just not a thing I'm like, well, we could make it a thing. Eh, no, we don't do that. And then, like, um, okay, That's well, going to require me to work on a Saturday. Yeah, and, and, like, <laughs> and, like, and then, like, we, we kind of try. We we actually booked a bunch of uh, ourselves, and then, like, the corona canceled them all. But <laughs> but just, and even, like, you know, just sending out copies to reviewers and stuff, and it's just, it's just done so differently here that, like, trying to make sense sense of it, yeah, I don't know. That that's that's been the biggest change for me is just how the the industries run. And then like in in America, the thing is that like the books in order to be cost effective, the books are printed in Asia. And so they're like basically printing is expensive and housing or uh, storage storage is cheap. So a a company will do like a a huge print run of like 10,000, 20,000 books and store them and then like but they'll they'll print it and have to wait like 
four or five months to get the books and then store 10,000. Whereas here, they're just like, we're going to print a thousand books yeah. because we can have them in stores across the country tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> like the printer is next door. It's a small country. Yeah. They're like, print 2000. If they sell, we print 2000 more tomorrow. Like we're yeah. fine. That's the funny thing. I sell the textbooks to his, <laughs> to his, uh, his college. And the guy will call me like, we need 130 books. I'll print, I'll print them and, I'm just a middleman, you know. I send them the file, they print it and bring it. We need 15 more. I'm like, all right, they'll be there on Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just a couple of clicks away. That's awesome. Yeah. Whereas in, in like my book in America, the reason it came out like seven months late is because I had to wait for it to get to the printer from in China, and then China shut down. It's and, so weird, like, man. I just... always thought Canada and America living over there, like we're at the forefront of everything. Order now. Receive your uh, receive your goods in seven to twelve weeks. Here, seven <laughs> to twelve. I've, I've literally one of my first weeks here. I saw one of uh, one of my co teachers order a pair of pants when arriving at school at nine a.m. and they came just after lunch. Like the delivery came after lunch. Like, wow. yeah, well, I couldn't even right. figure out how like my uh, my family and friends in America the ordered band book club. Yeah. Like it took them two months to get their copy in America. And my friends ordered it like from Kilbo, imported, had it the next day. And I'm like, but how did, wait, <laughs> wait, the book came out yesterday. How did they even get it to Korea for them to get, I don't know how they did it. Wow, man. That's, that's, that's Korea. One thing I really want to do is uh, at Busan Film Festival, they have the uh, uh, book to film, which is where people will, people that have written books go up on stage and present their books to like all the producers. Mm. And then like afterwards they go sit at a table and everyone makes, tries to make deals to get mm. movies made out of them. I really want to do that. That's been like a, a big, uh, you know, last, I tried to do it last year and it was a big confusion about like if I was allowed cause it's from a Western publisher mm. and now we are finally going to be able to do it cause we have a Korean publisher, but now it's canceled cause of Corona. Did you win the Busan film festival? <coughs> my did i <laughs> i want there was a a 72 hour film festival that i won and what uh and then it, the film got selected to the busan short film festival okay mm. i i that just when you said busan film festival I'm like, i think you won that whole thing yeah can the, you explain a little bit well, about yeah, that? um there's a group in uh busan called liquid arts that plans a lot of art events and they did a 72 hour okay. film festival and they kind of teamed up with the busan short film festival where the judges from the short film festival came and judged the films, and then they said they might invite some of them into the the short short Busan Short Film Festival is um it's it's not part of the Busan Film Festival, but it's kind of a sister thing that okay. happens earlier in the year, and uh, it was the first Oscar qualifying film festival in Korea, and wow. uh, and so they invited my very very silly short film that we made in forty eight out no, seventy two hours. Which is weird. My first film to go to a festival is just the goofiest thing mm. that what, I've ever what made. What was the name of that one? It's called The Captain. And basically what I did is uh, I knew I had the two actors on my team are just really powerful, intense actors. And I knew that like the funniest thing I could do is to get something is to write something ridiculous and get them to take it super seriously. And I knew it would <laughs> either be really funny or bomb. And like, we got 72 hours. Let's just go for really funny. Yeah. Cause we're not going to make a masterpiece. We want to make people in the room laugh mm. and it worked. They like, I wrote something really stupid and they just were so intense about it that it made an amazing film and they put it in the festival. <laughs> That's awesome. man. It's just crazy. like, it, it's one long Tom Hanks joke. That's all the film is. Maybe, uh, maybe all those times they said not, or, bombing on stage and not being afraid to, to do uh, it gives you that 
gives you that motivation or that there's no apprehension mm-hmm. in, in putting whatever is in your mind out there. You do so much with, with books and art and stuff. Looking on the website, you have a list of other crazy things about your life. Do weird things, yeah. How did, like, I've never seen, I've never met someone with so many quirky things as, as Nate, uh, as Nate referred to it. Well, I don't know, know what we talked about Tommy here. either, but the Normcore was a, was a funny one that I, Normcore, like, came across and, like, <laughs> can I, you I, use that in a sentence? I don't know anyone who's invented a word before, or, I, I mean, I know the slang, and actually living in Korea, it's interesting, because they invent Konglish words all the time, mm-hmm. and half the times, we don't know what they mean even. Yeah. And I remember when I first came to Korea, early 2003, and they were talking about Selka and Dika, and I was like, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, teacher, you don't do Selkaing? And I was like, that's a verb? Selkaing? And self-cameraing. Yeah. But, but we just, we have different slang and different words that we, that we fuse together. But they have their own language um, of, of Konglish. But I've never known or you know you hear about it the webster's word of the year now is a thing but you said this was this the second place word of the year yeah it was a they had like a list of the the 10 possibilities and it was one of them uh one year but yeah it wasn't i wasn't trying to make a word i was just um <laughs> i was making a guess it was a period where i was trying to do like i did like 50 get uh guest strips for other comics that would appear on the same day so i was writing all day and night like just making up jokes for these comics and one of the comics was just this story about this city where there's lots of different subcultures. So the the stupid punchline was that the weirdest subculture to all of them was the guy who just dressed in normal clothes from and like he uh he only used slang that are, had already been used on uh on network television. Yeah, yeah. Uh only watched the shows that are you know that that kind of guy and they're all like freaked out by him. And yeah. that was the joke and he was normcore. Oh, okay. And then uh I complete like i wrote all of those comics in a fugue state did not remember writing it and then like a couple years later i kept getting tagged in these conversations with people talking about the history of words and i'm like what what is normcore what are you talking about i had never heard i did not remember i wrote it i did never heard it and they're like you don't know that you created the word that's like a runner-up for word of the year (laughs) and i'm like what when and they linked me to my own comic i'm like what and then all of a sudden, I started seeing like it was a punchline on Parks and Rec. It was a punchline on, uh, I, like the a Good Place. I think uh, uh, when they did the Avengers, they were like doing interviews about how Hawkeye's normcore, and like really? uh, people were sending me pictures of like uh, major department stores that have like get your normcore fashions this fall or whatever. No way. <laughs> and I'm like, but apparently, what happened is that there's this like. Something, something called a, a trend forecasting firm yeah. that I can't tell if they're a joke or not. Mm. It's very unclear. <laughs> but it, it's, the department it, stores. I can't, then. I can't tell if like if it's like the Onion or if it's like a real thing. But apparently, someone wrote Normcore like a few months after that comic. Someone had apparently seen that comic and just wrote the new thing is Normcore, and the fashion industry like, all right, <laughs> that's it then, and they no it blew up and it was weird and I. <clears throat> It's a mystery to and me. And if you, if you tried for years to make a, a famous word, it would never work. But yeah. there you go, just flying by the seat of your pants, and you gotta, all of a sudden you got a new word in the dictionary. You got patent that, man. I, I was I was <laughs> curious when I read about the U.S. senator and the non-disclosure. You, you said you made a cartoon. Is that from ages ago, or is yeah, that's from back when I talk about or no? That's uh, back when I did custom comics. One of my clients was a U.S. senator that was on Saturday Night Live and, and canceled and no longer works there. And I can't say which one it is, but there's only <laughs> one that was on Saturday Night Live. 
Uh, and his name is Al Franken, and I'm not allowed to talk about it. <laughs> Legally. Well, I was, I was going to say, when I heard about your Bollywood stories, I, I had a story from Bollywood also, um, and I was in a movie called Passions of Color. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, uh, do you know Shantaram? I do not. The book Shantaram? Anyway, amazing book, a couple of thousand pages. Anyway, it describes in there exactly where the terrorist attack was how many years ago in Delhi at the Leopold's Cafe. And you stay upstairs. And if you if you hang around Leopold's Cafe, that's where the foreigners hang out. And they'll always come there and find extras for movies and people for movies. And we were staying there. And sure enough, walking up the stairs, hey, do you guys want to be in a Bollywood movie? And, and it happened exactly how I had read in the book. Um, same place, same hostel. And then all of a sudden, boom, we were on the set of a Bollywood movie for a few days. And I thought... Interesting that you've been on in, in that situation as well. How was your experience? Good. I was in Afka Surur, the movie, The Real Love Story. Movie is spelled with two E's. Love is spelled with a U. And <laughs> it, is, it is one of the worst movies ever made. Even my friends who loved my, my girlfriend at the time who loved Bollywood movies would not go see the movie with me. And it was just really weird. My, my biggest part in the episode or in the movie was I, I did the voiceover of a character that, that like basically they shot it in Germany, but with no microphones. And so they would just fast forward to the movie and be like, this character is speaking uh, English. You voice it. And so I, they showed me this cop and I said, okay, what's the line? They said, the line is what the hell? And I said, all right. Um, he speaks for eight minutes. I'm like, yeah, the line's what the hell? I'm like, you want me to just improvise? No, you what? can't improvise. So you want me to say what the hell for eight minutes? They're like, yes. So, to illustrate <laughs> to illustrate how impossible that was they played it and i said what the hell what the hell what the hell are you doing what the hell is going on here what the and i did that for eight minutes and then they're like all right done and i'm like wait and we're done like yeah and they put it in the movie what the like hell? it fades in and out so you don't hear me the whole time but like that's if you watch the movie all of a sudden you just hear me go what the hell what the hell <laughs> okay just just before wrapping up here i, I want to know like especially your korean stuff i think it's awesome and I would love to read that stuff on a regular basis if it was available out there. Is there a way to share it, or what is the easiest way to find the stuff that's not the website? Like, is can you put is that stuff shareable on Facebook and whatever, or do we have to just share the website? No, I mean, depending on what, like, like I said, I make so many things in so many different places. There's stuff on the nib. There's stuff on. Uh, it's always all shared on all the social media and everything. Or my website will link you to the best places to read it. Yeah, I, got, I, I make so many things in so many different ways and then so much free stuff to read and then the two new books that just came out that people can get wherever they go to get books. How do you put your stuff out for social media? Uh, I, I try to be on everything. Twitter is my main thing that I get the most engagement. Um, it works out the best for me. But I, I try to get my stuff out everywhere that I can. Okay. Well, I look forward to sharing some of it. I think the Ojoy sex toy bit there was, was great. The nib was a, a great one with the... With Trump and Moon there, I think I I really like all of it. And two two th huge things that um, that I shared was the uh, hitting John Duan on the head with oh, the yeah. shoe, and uh, and explaining how Corona broke out here. You did the Shintanji the short comic there, that saved me so much time sending that home to people. <laughs> and I had like I said so much engagement. People sending back like, is that really a thing? Oh my god, that was on. It explained it so well, man. And that's. And then, of course, everything happened in America. Like, oh, yeah, that, yeah, we get it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cult spread it. Yeah. We got it. Yeah. Oh, dude, you did, you did a great job. But yeah, people follow me at Ryan Estrada on Twitter or I'm everywhere else.
else you can find me. Awesome. And I'll share all my stuff. Awesome. What what can we look forward to in the near future or or the next year or two? Uh, well, like I said, Student Ambassador just came out. I have uh, another book that we're working on called uh, Occulted that is a follow-up to Band Book Club that's about a friend of mine who uh, grew up uh, in a cult in America and wasn't allowed to read books because the world was ending, so why would you bother? And then learned everything from Band Books. That's the girl who wants to be an astronaut or something? Is that yeah, right? yeah. Wild. Um, and then I got lots and lots of other stuff cooking that I'm trying to get off the ground and hopefully TV shows will happen. I love who it. Who knows? I love it, man. I love to see I love to see the hustle, the grind and, and the and the persistence over over decades, man. Keep going. Keep Thank going. You. You're an inspiration all. Thank you so much for coming today. You came all the way from Busan on a, on your day off. So dude, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank Guys, you. I hope you uh, hope you enjoyed. We'll catch you next time. Bye bye.